0: And welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. I'm Scott Miller and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today's guest is well known as a speaker, author, entrepreneur, business owner, father. And to some of you, you may know him as a international fitness icon, nutrition expert. And to a few of you, you might know him as the world's, oh, I don't know, most famous big wave surfer. Laird Hamilton, welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series.
1: Scott, I just want to say thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us today. I see for the corporate audience, you put on your, um, your work clothes. In fact, I had people ask me, will he wear a shirt? I said, I don't know and I don't care. But welcome to today's podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Hey, Laird, you've written several books, a new one out called Life Writer heart body soul and life beyond the ocean by Laird Hamilton talk a bit about the um, intention behind the new book
1: well I, I had I had a book called Force of nature uh, that was I think it's been about 15 years ago and you know it was it was somewhat lifestyle based and I, I got some pressure from from some friends of mine to kind of like they're like well why don't you you know why don't you do a new book and and uh, And so, you know, I think, you know, the book itself kind of evolved naturally, the direction that we, that we, we went and, and the things that we wanted to share. I mean, the fact is, is that I learned uh, some, some things about myself from the kind of uh, process of, of, you know, all of the research that was done around the book. And so it was kind of, it's nice to, you know, be involved in writing a book and then also learn something. Uh, about yourself in the process.
0: Laird, by most accounts, you're, if not the world's, one of the world's most iconic, famous big wave surfers, surfers, period, period. But you're also known as really a cutting edge innovator when it comes to uh, water sports. um, Check your humility, um, reorient our audience a little bit to some of the innovations you've been responsible for as it relates to all of the gear and the equipment in, um, in surfing.
1: Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, I think I, I, I consider myself uh, an innovator first before anything. I, I like uh, that process, right? I like the process of having an idea, uh, right, you know, on a napkin. And then, and then you know, maybe uh, the ability to understand what it, could mean once implemented but you know the some of them kind of i would say you know simpler things were we developed a technique to to ride giant waves initially that was one of the my first more obvious innovations where we used motorized uh first of all motorized boats and then eventually motor you know jet skis to pull uh, a surfer onto waves that were technically too large to ride manually uh, and then from there, I was involved in in, in a lot of the development of, of some of the uh, the techniques for the water safety uh, around big wave riding, flo- flotation devices, and some of the other uh, equipment development that made it so that surfers could ride, continue to ride bigger and bigger uh, waves. Uh, I've been uh, involved in the beginning of of uh, kite surfing. Um, I, I was involved in the development of uh foil surfing Uh, actually you know foil stand up foil riding period and then eventually uh it it went into kiting and and then now it's in surfing um the you know i would say the most popular uh kind of discipline in water sports that i've been involved in is stand-up paddling I, i i started to stand up paddle uh kind of alone and and did that for Uh, five or six seven years and then eventually uh, a couple friends started to do it and and now it's it's considered one of the fastest growing uh sports in general worldwide just the the amount of people that do it they do it in Dubai you know we started we started it in Hawaii and they're doing it in Dubai now so it went around the world that way and and uh just recently I've been involved in some innovations in nutrition a lot of innovations in in training I have a Kind of a a kind of, I would say health and wellness, but uh, breathe, move, and recovery uh, company XPT, where we've we innovated some uh, training uh, with weights in the water and a kind of a whole discipline based around that and and some of these other breathing rhythms. And then, uh, you know, right now, innovations in nutrition have to do with uh, some of the recipes and some of the products that. We, we make at Laird Superfood. So uh, it, it seems to be kind of spreading out from, from sport into, into fitness, into wellness. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't know where it goes from here, but I do know I, I really just enjoy uh, the process of innovation and, and, uh, and use it like a formula. You know, once, I think once you've innovated something, it's easy to innovate something else. And, and I really enjoy that, that uh, process.
0: Laird, we'll spend some time talking a bit about some of your entrepreneurial ventures as I think they're inspiring, especially your focus on health and wellness and nutrition. You opened this particular book, as expected, talking about fear and death, respect for the water, for those listeners that have been on, on board this podcast for two years. I'm from Florida originally, Orlando, so a lot of association with you know, the East Coast and surfing, Daytona Beach, Cocoa Beach, probably developed an unhealthy fear for the ocean, watching friends you know have issues yeah. What, what would you share that you've learned as you've watched a lot of death and injury and the power of the ocean? What are some of the big life lessons you were, you've learned around respect for the ocean and water and how you've been able to kind of um, capture and ride the fear associated with some of that?
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I uh, recently uh, I have a friend that that uh, is doing a lot of stuff uh, on fear in general. And, uh, what, what we, what, what you notice, uh, well, first of all, I would say the ocean is my greatest teacher. If you said, you know, who's, who's taught you more than any, any, anyone, you know, who's taught you the most, I would say the ocean has taught me the most, just the patience, the, the, the perseverance, the, the respect, uh, the humility, I mean, the list goes on and on. So, you know, what happens when you have a relationship with, with uh, fear and then ultimately the greatest fear that we we know of on earth is death right so death is the pinnacle of fear and then everything associated you know why why does public speaking scare people well if you're not accepted into the tribe then you'll die if you can't earn money and buy food you'll die and so it's always goes back to death but you know my relationship with fear has has stemmed you know, over over a period of you know, I would say, you know, more than fifty years, I've been I've been kind of dealing with fear and 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 then also kind of in close proximity to to, to death. And actually, it's it's kind of a uh, it's one of the things with the given situation that we're in right now on Earth that fear uh, that death itself I, I I say has a name, and I think there's a certain you know, people's lack of a relationship with death uh, in general is, 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 you know, is causing a lot of the stress that people have. Now, I don't think anybody wants to die. um, And you should be scared of dying. I mean, I think this is important, but I think it's important to have a healthy relationship. Like I said, my relationship with fear and dying, you know, has, has, has uh, been developed over 50 years. And I I look at it more, you know, and I talked about uh, an I- intimacy uh with uh, death and that and or with fear itself and that fear is actually an a, a very important uh emotion if not one of the most uh the reason why we still exist uh, as a species on earth is because we were scared and we knew when to run and and you know and we ran faster because you know, we were scared, and we made better decisions because we were scared. And so, I think it's important that people know how to embrace that emotion. Uh, like I said, a friend of mine, Christine Olner, who is a who wrote an incredible book called "The Art of Fear," uh, speaks a lot about about it. And you know, I, I think it's important for people to develop that relationship. You know, and like it was forced on me because of the ocean. Uh, you know, I always say the ocean doesn't discriminate. You know, I, I lived in a pretty, uh, I would say, tough environment growing up, I- I- in the sense of racially and 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 uh, economically and some of these other things. And I'm not ever going to be like, oh, poor me, because you know I've been so blessed uh, in my life that I couldn't begin to to you know look for sympathy or even approach it that way. But it speaks more to the fact that I I I went to the ocean to find equality, you know, and, 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 I, and, you know, I would always say we're all equal before a wave, you know, that's a, that's a statement I've made many times because it doesn't matter how strong, how rich, how smart, how pretty, how handsome you are, the wave, it just treats you like everyone else. And it's only your experience and your understanding and your skill that, uh, that makes, uh, makes the difference. And, and that's, those are all things you can develop. And so, you know, the ocean has taught me that I think if anything, the ocean has taught me patience. I I, I know that uh, I was working um, with uh, on an interview with a writer at one point, and we sat down for a, a conversation and he said to me, he goes, you know, it's amazing how patient you are. And I looked at him and I was like, I think you don't think you know me I, like I don't consider myself patient at all. I consider myself very uh, impatient. But when he explained that our our willingness to, you know, we'll wait our whole life for a moment, uh, looking for the, the perfect wave and being in that position, actually preparing and kind of building our whole lifestyle around being ready uh, for that moment. And then not knowing when that moment's going to happen, but yet when it does you know, trying to take an advantage of it. And, and I think that's a, you know, I think that is an incredible, uh, uh, you know, trait to develop for anyone is, is and uh, you know, people ask me, younger guys ask me, you know, if you could say anything to, you know, you, when you were 20, you know, what would you tell yourself at 20? Uh, you know, to, to, you know, what would be something that you, you would say? And I said, well, I, I would, I would say be patient. <laughs>
0: Laird, you're often surfing waves that are larger than some buildings. I'm, I'm guessing you've had some near-death experiences. Is that true? Can you describe one? How did you come out of it? What, how, what were you thinking?
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I have had uh, quite a few different uh, opportunities to uh, die. I mean, you know, I always say, uh, you know, living is hard and dying is very easy. It doesn't take very long living takes a lifetime and dying's simple. I, I've been, you know, I've been held under by waves. Uh as a young child younger child, uh, when you're more impressionable, uh I was caught at sea and you know, caught at in rip currents and held held out many times. And I think those times made the the later ones less impactful. Uh, you know, I've been in avalanches, I've fallen through cornices, I've been trapped in rivers. Uh, I've been lost at sea. Uh, and like I said, I've been held under, uh, by waves. I've had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, I think I have a tendency to try to, to block some of those things out. And the interesting thing is that when you're in, uh, that state of mind, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, in fight or flight and you have a really high heart rate, uh, you actually have very little recollection. So, um, you know, somebody will ask me, well, what's it like to ride a, you know, a, a, an 80 foot or 100 foot waiver? And I and I would say sometimes it's hard for me to really give, you know, uh, an, an accurate, detailed description of that because of the nature of of the lack of memory. Uh, and I think we, it's a skill also that we have as an organism to be able to block those things out so that we can continue on and not let those things kind of you know, hold us back and burden us. And so, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, I've been hit by some giant waves and blown into the sky uh, like, you know, like from an explosion and then held under, uh, you know, and like I said, a lot of stitches, a lot of broken bones, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of injuries, Um, you know, being lost at sea. I think that was an impactful one because of the nature of the time, you know, you have these ones that are, you know, real high impact and are really short, you know, short lived, and then you have something like being out at sea and, and time to think, you know, where you wonder if you'll ever make it back, and you're you go through those emotional uh, processes that 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 have a tendency to affect you uh, in long in a longer term, uh, you know, effect.
0: Would you share your lost at sea story? I think you were there for about 24 hours. Is that right?
1: Yeah, which doesn't seem like very much, but where yes, I does. was, the fact is, that I was, I was, uh, you know, north of uh, the Big Island of Hawaii, about sixty miles out to sea, um, which is really too far to swim, um, even if you're great. Uh, I mean, maybe you could, maybe you could swim, maybe you could swim sixty miles, but um, it would be a long day if you, you know, if you didn't get eaten. And, uh, and so, and I had an e-perb, uh, fortunately, I was actually traveling between islands. Um, and I took a jet ski to cross from Maui to the big Island of Hawaii and the fog from the volcano was extremely thick and, and the current, uh, pulled me off course. And so I ended up way, way North and I started to get low on fuel. So I sh- turned the machine off because I didn't want to run the machine, uh, out of fuel, which, would have resulted in me being uh, immobile in case I saw something or wanted to get away from something or get to something. But, uh, you know, later on in the evening or that afternoon, I could see the island and I knew that I was much too far away to swim. And I didn't want to leave the craft. That's kind of one of the rules uh, when you're at sea, don't leave the the vessel. Uh, and so, you know, I was eventually rescued by a, a Coast Guard helicopter because I had an EPIRB. Um, like a a emergency locating device that was a handheld one. And I wasn't sure if the signal was strong enough. So there was a lot of, like I said, there was time to think about, uh, you know, time to think about things and, and, uh, and, and eventually I got rescued by the helicopter and flown back to uh, back to the main Island where there had been a lot of aircraft looking for me, but they didn't know exactly where I was. They were looking for actually in the wrong place. Uh, and it was during the shooting of, I was working on the film Waterworld, so yeah. uh, it was just kind of appropriate. I guess I got lost at sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I have to ask this, speaking of being eaten, uh, had any close encounters with that?
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it, what's interesting about fear, obviously, and and uh, is we have some really innate fears, right? And, you know, drowning is one of them, uh, yeah. falling from high places is another one of them. And being eaten by l- large animals with huge teeth is another one of them. <laughs> and those are those are kind of built in. Uh, those are built in fears that we have. So, you know, I don't think anybody uh, would enjoy the concept of, of being eaten. And I think the movie Jaws had a huge impact on me when I was a young uh, young child. And, and where I was, I was, you know, I've been in the water alone a lot. And so I've had an opportunity to see, uh, you know, uh, I've had an opportunity to see you know, quite a few sharks, but in the scheme of the amount of time I've been in the ocean, I've seen very few, you know, I could say, Oh, I've seen, you know, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, eight or 10 sharks and, and, uh, in in my whole career in the water surfing for 50 years. I mean, that's, that's really nothing. Um, they say the one you don't see is the one and, you know, and I, and I could say that you, you develop a skill to sense them. I think you can feel them. I, I know days that I've, been in the water and I felt, I just felt uh, an eerie feeling and I would go in and then I hear later on, oh yeah, some guy saw a giant shark out at us, you know, at a place where I was earlier in the day that I could feel. So I believe in our ability to sense uh, these things, but you know, I spent some time, I took my, uh, my middle daughter who is, who's just her favorite animal is, is a shark. And so we went to an Island and and we dove uh, in cages with great whites and and uh, you realize they they really just don't want anything to do with you. And it's normally, you know, mistaken identity. So it's more, or, or there's something, you know, attracting them. So like the times when I've been cut severely in the water, you know, I make it a point to get in quickly (laughs) for one, but, uh, but I grew up around fishing and, you know, I grew up around the ocean and you're inevitably going to see, you know, tigers and hammerheads and other big, uh, big sharks and, uh, you know, we always say the one you see is, that's a good shark. It's just the the one you don't see is the one that, that uh, will be a problem.
0: That will eat you with big teeth. Larry, awesome. speaking of your family, how does your relationship with fear impact how you parent, how your children take risks, how they don't? Is there any insight you would share with any parent who's not obviously swimming with great whites in cages, which I'm not with my three sons. What, what parenting advice would you give all of us on how our relationship with fear impacts our children?
1: Well, the most obvious way initially is just when your children get hurt when they're young and your response to them will, will actually dictate their response to the injury. I mean, if your kid falls and cuts himself and then you go, oh no. And, yeah. And, and, and start to react, then they, that's telling them this is a problem, this, that, this is, that something's wrong, and then they react. And, you know, it, it, it's a very simple uh, – it, it's as simple as when anybody is severely injured. You can put people in shock through your response. And so learning how to respond to your children when they're young, especially when they fall or something happens – Uh, how you act about it will really determine their and develop their relationship with, with being hurt. Now, Hey, when you're hurt, you're hurt. I understand that. And if it's bad, it's bad, but you can really, and the worse it is actually the calmer you should be and the less you should respond in a, in a, in a, in a a negative, you know, uh, way. I think it's really important for us to do that. And then as we go, you know, further on in development, you know, how you respond, uh, during a crisis, uh, whatever the crisis is, if you're the, you know, the parent is the pillar. And so that the pillar is shaking, uh, doesn't make it good for the kids. Uh, so the kids, you know, they're going to look at looking at you like, Hey, you know, we got this crisis going on. Uh, you know, how are you acting? And if you're steadfast and, 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 you know, and being as cool as you can be, given whatever the crisis is, that's going to help them, be, you know, be comfortable. That's going to help them feel OK. And I think that's important. I think that's that's essential in in, uh, you know, and I have two very different uh, I have three uh, you know daughters, but two that are extremely uh, kind of opposing or contrasting, um, you know, characters when it comes to fear. And one is highly calculated, measured, you know, check it, know it, don't do anything till you fully understand. And once she's fully understands the vehicle and how it can stop and how it can go and all those, you know, whatever the situation is for what you're doing, then she'll go. And she, she's willing to do some, not, I would say risky things, but she's willing to go and, you know, and, and adventure once she knows the the, 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 you know, the, the environment. My other daughter will just throw herself into it and then think about landing after like, okay, I'm falling now to where do I want to land? Um, and more of my approach, uh, to things. And as a parent, sometimes that's difficult to watch. Sometimes that's, that's like, you know, but you know, again, uh, you know, I always use the staircase, uh, theory about when the when the kids are young and the and you see your child on, a, on the first staircase and you're like you want to go and catch them but if you do then they're going to go next time they're going to go to the second one and if the third one eventually you might not be there and they might come tumbling down the whole staircase where if you let them fall off, off you know experience maybe falling on the first stair, stair then they might not actually go on the whole staircase. So, you know, there, there's, again, it's, it's your approach to it. How do they, and, and, and again, this is not foolhardy, just, you know, Hey, watch, you know, watch how silly I can be. I mean, most of the work that I do, uh, and, and just to, to the, to the layman that just is observing, they think, Oh, that you're crazy, or you're just an adrenaline junkie. And, it's very calculated stuff. I mean, all, of the, all the training we do to prepare for it. And the, and the kids see that too. So your children are watching. You know, I always say that they're, they're watching what you're doing, not what you're saying. So at the end of the day, uh, that's why they don't call it listening to what you're doing. They call it yeah. watching. What you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Laird, um, perhaps not intentionally, you have achieved, you know, international celebrity uh, as has your wife, right? Gabby Reese, a renowned uh, Olympic athlete. How do you balance that celebrity and fame and like and self-promotion? You're a pretty laid-back guy. What is, what what insights would you share with our listeners and viewers around how your family balances that and uses that for good? It's obviously a business for you. I don't see you on red carpets at movie premieres and Hollywood things. Talk a bit about the life of being a celebrity, accidentally or intentionally, and how that works well and perhaps um, the downside of it.
1: Well, I mean, first, first of all, we, we, we try to be honest, you know, where we try to try to project a, 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 an honest image, meaning I'm wearing a t-shirt and I didn't comb my hair. I'm, I'm not, you know, and I, and I didn't have any makeup done before. And uh, you know, Gabby will do a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of photographs are, she's not going to, she's, she's not going to airbrush stuff and, and make it and, 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 and make it, you know, make the image, far surpass the reality. First of all, that's one, one, one aspect of it. Right. And, and there's a certain honesty to it that we, that we, you know, that we live, uh, you know, as close as we can, uh, to, and we preach as close as we can to how we live. Right. And, and so there's, there's, uh, an aspect to that, to that there's an aspect to, to the, the honesty of the image that's being projected, um, you know, we, we always, you know, if anybody, I mean, listen, there's some rare occasions, maybe the timing, but you just have to be appreciative of people appreciating what you do. Right. I think that's really important. I think it's important for you to, to, to remember that, um, you know, I I'm able to, fortunately I have the ocean, uh, to, to remind me and, and to, you know, put me in my place. If I ever start to, to feel a little big for my britches, you know, I, I tell friends of mine that are great athletes that are, you know, in, in, in stadiums with 50,000 people screaming, you know, that you need to offset that and go into the mountains and, and be alone and, and, you know, and, and, and meet a bear and stand <laughs> under a tree and, you know, cause just kind of remind you that you're just not much different than, than, Anyone else? You just happen to have a, 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 a either a job or do a thing that that brings you a certain amount of exposure. You know, there's there's. I, I think when you're appreciative, of, when you appreciate the fact that that people uh, admire what you do uh, and maybe look up to you in in certain um, areas, it makes you you're usually not offended and bothered uh, by by uh you know their approach you have to you can't be surprised actually yeah. so i think that's a big piece of it i think i think that promoting uh you know health and wellness uh you know and 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 you know never really uh being involved in a product that we genuinely don't believe in like we don't endorse things i don't endorse uh stuff that isn't good for you i mean not if i could help it and and and, uh, you know, I, and, th- and I use, you know, the things that I do in or we, that we endorse are things that we use personally, that we believe in, that are real to us. Um, again, honesty as as kind of an, uh, you know, uh, an overriding, you know, blanket and, and listen, we have to make ends meet and, you know, pay the bills like everybody. And sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do, but there's certain things that you can't compromise on. And I think there's certain values. Uh, that you have to stay true to. And, you know, I always said, it's easy to say no, when you can try saying no, when you can't, right. because then that's when it really means right. no. Right. Um, and so I think there's some, some uh, a value system and a way to approach it and a humility, uh, you know, to, to, to all of it that, that keeps you grounded. I think you need to continually be grounded and, and, and keep the proper perspective uh, about who you are in the, in the, in the, in the in the galaxy, you know, in the solar system on the earth and just that you're just, you know, that we're, you know, ultimately dust in the wind. And so don't get, don't get too big for your britches. (laughs)
0: Laird in our final few minutes here, you have become as well known now, probably for your focus on fitness and health and wellness and nutrition as you are for your, your surfing. Tell me, did your passion ever wane for surfing? Did you ever have a point where you just like got fatigued? Like you see perhaps tennis players or others ever have any kind of like challenge with, I'm sick of this?
1: Well, you know, I, I mean, one of the things I vowed to do from, from, a, you know, from a young age was I never wanted to lose the feeling that surfing brought me. So I've been pretty uh, cautious and aware that I, wanted, that I didn't want to lose that. And, and I think the one unique thing that we have in surfing is there's really no right or wrong way. You don't have to be, let's say, if you're a tennis player on the tennis tour to continue to play tennis or or there's pretty much one way to play tennis. But there's a lot of ways to surf. And so I've been able to kind of innovate mm, and, right. and change right. the way that I've gone about doing it, which reinvigorates me. So I get reenthused by a new approach. And so I think I've had that on my side. I think that's been something that's been very helpful, but I have made a conscious effort to not lose my love for surfing because I feel like that would be, you know, I told somebody once I go, you know, if I lost my love for surfing, I would consider that sin. Like that would be like a sin, like to lose the thing that's brought me all of, all of the, you know, well, first of all, most and, most of the lessons in my life and, and, and most of the things that I've received have come, you know, either directly or indirectly for my love and my passion for surfing. Um, If I lost that, it would kind of like, it would almost be like, you know, losing your, your uh, you know, reason for living. I mean, first it's family, you know, of course that's your, but as an individual, which, you know, you're not great for the family if you're not individually, content and 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 accomplished and fulfilled and so i look at that as like an obligation that i need to continue to be a fulfilled you know person and then i can then i can really be an asset to the family uh and and i can't force them to fulfill me because that's not fair on them uh nor are they capable i'm i think i think that's my responsibility and i think surfing has been the thing you know has done that so surfing has like it has been what fulfills, fulfills me. And I will continue to make it. And I, like I said, I just get to reinvent it. So I get to do it a new way. Um, And, and, and the, and the aloofness of the, of the giant waves is something that keeps you striving because they're so aloof that you just, it's not like you can get them every day on Sunday at noon. You just, they just, you know, some years, it'll be years and years before you get the opportunity. And so I think that kind of continues to, you know, Romance, uh, romance me.
0: <laughs> how how do you train differently in your fifties than perhaps you did in your forties or thirties? Any insights to share there?
1: Yeah, I, you know my, my approach is a little less. Uh, you know, I I, I I we say smarter, not harder, but I wouldn't say it's any less hard. Yeah. But I, I I approach training uh, with you know with more support and and respecting uh, the body than then undermining, uh, my, my physicality. And so I try to maybe make it more difficult, but without quite the, with, without the, you know, getting as beat up and I'm, and I'm more, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more holistically, uh, well, in, in the sense of, you know, the, the better diets, better, better sleeping, you know, just all of, you know, all the spokes in the wheels, in the wheels of health, you know, I, I try to, make sure everything's rolling and, and feed it that way and more a a holistic approach to it. And so, you know, and then I'm, you know, we do heat and ice and we're in the pool a lot and, you know, and we, I mean, we have a lot of cardio stuff, but you know, it's like, it's as much as what are you reading and what are you watching? Um, You know, who are you hanging out with the people that you spend time with? I mean, these are all things that feed into your health. And I think we, we undervalue a lot of these things. We just think, okay, work out real hard and, you know, and eat protein and you'll be in shape. And I'm like, yeah, it's not quite like that. And I know that emotionally, you know, how, how uh, I would say sound you are, will dictate performance, especially uh, you know, when you're demanding, you know, high, high uh, in high risk or just high demand activities. You need all of these things kind of at rest and you need to, you know, you you can't be having, uh, you know, an argument with your wife right before you go out to have, a, you know, a great performance It probably won't be great as, or not as great as it could be. You can't be having, you know, bad relationships with friends or having friends that are undermining your, your, you know, your, your performance. I mean, you just have to look at every aspect of it. Like I said, books, you're reading food, you're eating how you're sleeping. I mean, this is all, you know and i so I, I think my approach now is is a, a, you know fully holistic uh, approach and and try to and, and then try to focus on some of the areas that maybe you're not uh you know as as uh, rounded in and and then don't do things that really undermine uh, your health because there's a lot of a lot of training that you can do that will bring you a certain level of fulfillment but it will undermine uh, your overall health. And, mm-hmm. and then that will eventually undermine your performance.
0: Where's the best um, surfing in California
1: real quick. Uh, in the ocean. Ah, come on. Hawaii. <laughs> oh, I, well, there's no, you know what? We don't discriminate. We just love good waves. There's great surf. <laughs> it depends on the time of the year when we have Southern swells. I mean, you have so many great surf breaks. I mean, you got San Onofre and you got Huntington and Malibu and, you know, Santa Barbara and Santa Cruz. And I mean, there's a lot of good surf in California, again, the time of the year. And, you know, I always say my favorite uh, break is the one with just me and my friends out.
0: (laughs) Do you tend to follow the waves in terms of the the calendar of the year and such and you find yourself in different countries at the same time of the year, year in, year out?
1: Um, Yeah. Well, like, yes. For example, when in the summertime, most of the surf is generated in the Southern Hemisphere. And so we go to you know, I'll go to Peru or Tahiti or Fiji, okay. um, those kind of areas, uh, or Chile in the in the summer times, and then when we come into the into the winter times, we'll we'll be you know either in like I was in Portugal this season, so you'll be in the North Atlantic, you'll be in the Pacific, North Pacific. So you have Hawaii. Hawaii gets both both uh, the southern and the northern. You know, California gets to both the southern and the, and the and the uh, Northern as well. But usually Northern Hemisphere uh, locations in the winter and then Southern Hemisphere locations in the summer.
0: Laird, last question. You now have also become an entrepreneur, an investor, inventor. As you look at the different types of businesses you're involved in, I hear you have a passion around coffee and such. What's some parting advice you would give around risk and reward to people who have a side hustle, have a small business, they're a business owner, they're thinking about investing, inventing something. Any lessons you've learned that'd be helpful for people to
1: hear? Well, I, you know, I mean, I have a friend that, you know, that, that, uh, that, you know, said to me, you know, the first step, you know, the first step is the hardest. And once you take that first step, you know, it, it and that's when we talk about working out, like people look like, oh, I don't even want to work out. I'm like, well, just take the first step. Cause that's usually you know, once you break the ice, but you know, I, I say for, I, I say one thing for sure, you never want regrets. So no risk, no reward. There's just the way the, the, the world is. And the fact is there's a certain level of risk. You know, I think that you have to have uh, you know, I think that, that your values are highly important. I think that if you're, if it's just, if you're trying to make money to make money, well, that's just a whole different game than if you're really going to, you know, if you're sincere and genuine about, about, uh, you know, making a difference or making pro- something that you believe in. Um, I think that those are different, re- different rewards and, and a, and, a different, uh, system. But one thing for sure is, is that y- you want to make things that are good for people. And, and I think that that, and you want to make something that actually is something I, I, you know, I, I like, uh, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's, uh, I think that's important, Laird
0: Hamilton. Thanks for joining us today. You're one of our first, if not only yet, like, super-sized athletes that have joined us on this. Usually, it's you know business icons yeah. and CEOs, but we're glad to have you on. It's nice to yeah. mix it up and have you join us. Thanks for your time. Thanks for lending us the time for your family uh, today. So it's
1: been a pleasure, and thank you.
0: Our pleasure uh, too. You
1: guys, have a, a all the success in the world.
0: Thank you. Great book, Life Rider, Heart, Body, Soul, and Life Beyond the Ocean by Laird Hamilton. Of course, husband to Gabby Reese. That's good enough as well. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you back here next week on a new episode of On Leadership.